Welcome to the Texas Home Improvement Super Podcast with Jim Dutton. All the best calls this week throughout the state of Texas. Brought to you by James Hardy Siding, the best siding on the planet. Elaine, how can I help you today? Hi, Jim. Um, we live in a one-story, about a 55-year-old home in Houston in the Memorial area. Have saltillo tile floors. And we have been, over the last few years, we have been getting um, efflorescence on the tile floors. And this was even before Harvey. We did not flood. But this was, it it started um, being noticeable even before Harvey. We have had two leak detection companies come out, and neither of them found any leaks in the plumbing lines. So it's a process of elimination, and I'm wondering where we should go from here. You know, I actually was sitting with a guy yesterday and had a conversation about moisture and concrete and slabs and stuff yesterday. Uh, Because what he used to do was specialize in stopping that moisture from coming through. And he says, in... What he was telling me was a lot of it is being caused by the way we're building our homes and changing them to the the pressure differential from outside versus inside our homes is is drawing the moisture up through the concrete because concrete is porous and allows this efflorescence to take place. So, you know, I, I he gave me some papers I'm going to study and, and read and stuff, but in essence what causes the effervescence is moisture gets into the concrete there's a chemical reaction and that stuff just kind of grows like cotton candy onto your concrete Mm -hmm. normally Mm -hmm. when you're in air-conditioned space it doesn't happen a whole lot because the air conditioner keeps it dehumidified enough that we don't have the, the moisture issues but if we're getting static pressure of moisture coming up through the concrete well, then there's a new moisture source that can allow this to happen. So the first thing I would be looking at is drainage around the house, standing water anywhere, things like that. Because what happens as a, as a structure ages, uh, you know, we've been mowing the yard for years and letting the grass clippings build up. We've been adding soil for low spots and doing flower beds and things like that. And, you know, when the house was built, there was five inches of slab showing. Now there's only two. Well, that allows moisture to get into the concrete as well and can start causing some of these issues. So the first thing, like I said, check to make sure we don't have any place that moisture could accumulate around the home. Uh, See that you've got four inches of slab showing. And if not, maybe it's time to to do some regrading to to take care of that. Uh, And then the third thing that actually can add to this is uh, as we raise our thermostats and it's not dehumidifying as much or our air conditioning system is acting up and not dehumidifying like it should, that Mm -hmm. allows it to grow as well. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. Well, it's been a while. Um, and, and in fact, I, 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 my first, my first uh, intuitive thought was it could be a drainage issue. I mean, after after we ruled out no leaks in the pipes, right? Um, I, 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 
I thought perhaps it could be a, a drainage issue. Now, on one side of the home, um, uh, a dog run, it is, it is completely gravel. Uh, no foundation plantings around there at all, but okay. we do have a, uh, and it's been installed there for years, a heavy-duty plastic that acts as a weed barrier with mm-hmm. uh, gravel put on top of it. And would that have anything to do with impeding drainage? It, it very well can. And worse than that, if when it was put in or even now from soil moving, if it's sloping towards the house a little bit, it can be taking all the rainwater and draining it towards the house. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Well, as I said, it's a process of elimination. Yep. But yeah. um, a, a good drainage company um, <clears throat> that knows what they're doing um, could come out and help mitigate because um, it needs to be it needs to be looked at anyway. Sure. So, now, have, let me you ask you, a you, you had the lines checked. Did, did you have just the water lines or sewer lines or both? Uh, sewer lines. Okay. Yeah, typically, if it's a water line leak, you're going to know it. Uh, uh-huh. and, and our water lines in the Houston area are typically overhead anyways. Um, yeah, actually, call Due West, my company. We do drainage okay. all the time. I'd be more than happy to. I enjoy it. Okay. Uh, listening to your show and would be more than happy to entertain um, a welcome out here. Hey, Jim. How are you today? Man, I'm doing wonderful. How about you? Thank you, Jim. I appreciate it. Have a nice day. You you. as well. Thank you, Mm ma'am. Bye-bye. Going out to Spring Branch. Hello, Tom. I've uh, called you several times over the years, and you've always given me good advice, so maybe you can help me this time. I'll do my best. I've got got a um, flagstone patio kind of around the pool, and it's been there about 20 years. Over the years, I may have sealed it a few times and chipped out a little bit of grout now and again, but we just chipped out a lot of grout and and put it in, and it kind of rained right after it was done, uh-huh. still wet. And so it, the, I guess the lime or something came out and made it really, really white. So now where the new grout is, that's really, really white is is uh, the contrast with the other grout that's older and gray. Right. Uh, and and I'm wondering, what's the best kind of stain that I can put on there or something to kind of make it blend? I know it's never going to be perfect because of 20-year-old grout versus oh, sure. uh, you know, new, but uh, I just want to make it not so bright. Yeah. Well, there's two things. Uh, one... You know, it, it's all natural stuff, so it, it, there are going to be different shades regardless. Sure. Uh, and like you said, that one is aged. Uh, the new one will darken down some as it ages. When it's brand new that way, a lot of times it is pretty bright. But to speed yeah. the process, you're going to laugh at this. Put dirt on it. <laughs> you're right. You're right about the laughing part. <laughs> um okay. you could put you I'll could try put, yeah you could put dyes all you want but the dirt <laughs> will make it match in color a whole lot faster than any dye you could get and if you dye it as uh as it ages it will age to a different color and so if wow. you'll just if you just go rub some dirt on it and then don't use a pressure washer just rinse it off 
Mm -hmm. uh, each time you do that, you're going to find that it's going to match in color a little bit better than it was the time before. Wow. All right, Jim. Uh, I'll try that. That sounds like, that sounds very logical. Uh, not that I ever would have thought of it, but I'll, yeah. I'll give it a try. Thank you All so right. much. Just any kind of dirt. I've got plenty of that around here. Thank the, you. The, the black gumbo clay is what's going to do the best for you. Okay. Appreciate it. You bet. Take care. Thank you, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye. And, you know, understand, all our concrete gets kind of that blackish color because it's porous, and all the pollution we get that drops down on it gets into those pores, and mildews and molds and stuff like that will start growing in it, and it, it, it just stays embedded there. So by rubbing dirt into it, you're just speeding up the process and, and getting it started. And I'm not going to say it's going to blend in perfectly. Don't get me wrong. But do it, you get the color going, you give it a little bit of time, and yeah, it's going to look pretty good. Lawrence, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Uh, hello, Jim. I'm fixed to put on a new roof, and I've got a few bids, and one of them was Guardian, uh -huh. which is one of your sponsors, and they came out and told me they had a um, solar hide uh, underlayment. They said it's a lot more expensive. I was wondering if you knew anything about it's supposed to be a little bit... Uh, I guess, I don't know, if, I, you couldn't call it, a, could you call it a radiant barrier, or what would you just call that? Well, it, it it's a solar barrier is, I think, what they call them. And basically, it, it's there to help block some of the heat transfer and everything from getting down into your attic space. And usually it's not a very expensive upgrade. It, it's uh, actually minimal cost uh, to upgrade to it, so... Normally, I would say I would do it. Okay, I thought when you had to, um, it'd have a little air laminate, air, air situation, uh -huh. but it's not exactly, uh, that's where you get into your solar barrier. Or, or oh, you're, you're talking about the radiant barrier and a thermal right. break has to have dead air space. They've got newer technology out now. Uh, that's where I was talking about the Energy Q radiant barrier, for instance. That is a radiant barrier with a thermal break in the middle, and you can sandwich it in behind materials, and that's very similar to to uh, what they're talking to you about. Okay, now if you had a, um, what's the the process of uh, if you had put the roof on first, and then I'm doing fascia too. Would you want to do the fascia first and then the roof, or vice versa? Uh, usually you're going to do your soffit and fascia boards first and then the roof because your drip edge will hang over those fascia boards. Okay, so then when does the painting and all that come in? Uh, you can you can do it before the roof goes on or after, either one. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Okay, now I had one company say they're going to spray that, but do you recommend spraying, spraying that? Uh, you know... It lasts longer if you put it on with a brush and rollers than it does spraying. It just goes a lot quicker and looks better uh, because it's a smoother application when it's sprayed on. Uh, but it doesn't last longer? <laughs> no, it doesn't last longer. The, the, okay. the thickness from brushing and rolling actually lasts longer. Okay, cause, so you want to do that? You want to do the fascia first and then the roof second? Yep. 
Okay. All right. Especially if you're going to spray it. If you are going to decide to spray it, let them paint before you put the roof on. Uh, You may end up doing a little touch up here and there, but, you know, they always get a little overspray up on the roof when they spray. And so let them get the overspray on the old roof and then put the new one on afterwards. Well, they can actually do that without taking off some of the shingles uh, and all that. No, do that's that right. facial work. Oh, yeah. Do the do the facial work. Yeah, and you don't have to take the shingles off. They may damage the uh, the drip edge a little bit, but that's nothing that's going to cause you any major problems. Because you're going to okay, be doing the, the roof. Edge. You're going to be doing the roof pretty quick after that, anyway. Right, and then the drip edge goes on. Over the fascia, right? Yeah, it goes on over the the fascia with the roof. Okay, and how do they paint? They they don't have to um, worry about getting paint on the drip edge then, huh? No. Okay. All right, well, that answers my questions. Okay. Just a reminder, it's a huge help if you subscribe to, rate, and review the podcast. It helps people find us. This is a common question. Comes in from Johnny. He's in Humble. Hot water heater that makes rumbling noises. Our hot water heater makes rumbling noises after using the hot water. It is located in the attic on the second floor of our home, which is seven years old. Want to move hot water heater in the garage. Why is it making this rumbling sound? And who do you recommend to install a new hot water heater in our garage? Well, two-story house water heater is currently up in the attic of the second floor the way it sounds again this is a great reason why i prefer the calls to to come in for a question like this because if it's on the first floor it's a lot easier on the second floor you got to keep in mind you've got to get the water to the water heater and back into the hot water lines now normally if you move a water heater you just reroute the water that's going into the current water heater but Going all the way from the attic of a second floor down to your garage probably isn't going to be that simple. So you may end up capping up the lines up there or joining them together. And and by joining them together, I mean the hot water line. So it gives it a continuous flow and tying into the hot water line somewhere else. Same with feeding it cold water. So you may have a lot more to do on this than you think you do. As far as the rumbling, that is just it heating up the water. Uh, you know, water heaters, they recommend you drain them every 6 to 12 months. When we don't drain them, and I'll be honest with you, I never drain mine. It starts building up sediment in it. As it builds up sediment, it has to heat all that sediment in order to heat the water. And that's the rumbling sound you hear. As the sediment heats and cools, it expands and contracts, and it makes all kinds of crackling and popping noises. And that's really all you're hearing when you're hearing that water heater do that. So whether it's in the attic or up in, in the in the garage, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have the same issue. Uh, does it extend the life of a water heater to drain it periodically? It probably doesn't hurt anything. It does help slow down that popping noise uh, from starting. Once it has started, once you've gone past the two-year mark, you're pretty much too late to, to start draining the water heater. Uh, so at that point, 
you pretty much just stay with you pretty much stay with it as is and just leave it alone and that's the reason I don't drain mine on a regular basis so what I would tell you to do is yeah if you want to move it get a plumber out there let's see you're an humble my plumbing company in Houston could help you out do West total plumbing you can call us at 713-473-7156 and be more than happy to come by and take a look at it for you and get you taken care of this comes from John in Allen and I'm planning to build a workshop I was going to start last March but COVID hit and postponed the project now lumber prices are almost double I'm retired and on a budget do you see any time in the future lumber supply and demand stabilized you know and and this is a great question because yeah lumber cost has just gone out of sight and getting a hold of lumber has become very difficult now do I see it stepping back again actually I do and here's why uh, since people have been kind of getting back to work and and some of the, the uh, things that were closed or opened back up loggers have been hitting the forest heavy and I think what's going to happen is our supply is going to overwhelm our demand here before long. But I think we're probably still six months, four to six months out before that happens. Once that happens, though, uh, the, the supply and demand prices will start dropping. But that's not going to happen in four to six months. We're probably looking at 2021 being a high-priced lumber year maybe towards the end of 21 it'll start dropping and then next year i see it probably stabilizing out again because uh at this point labor costs hasn't gone up or anything it's pretty much stayed the same so their cost of getting the goods is relatively stabilized stable now as uh some new rules are, are coming out and stuff you know uh well minimum wage they're talking about bumping minimum wage to 15 dollars. you will see the cost of everything go up if that happens uh i don't know why they always think that's going to fix stuff because when you raise the cost of minimum wage it raises the cost of everything because everything has to go up to pay that minimum wage uh, there is no, you know, basis to raise it up and, and say, okay, now everybody's above poverty line. That's not going to happen. But uh, in in timber works and stuff, the reason it'll raise all that cost as well, and this is across the board on everything we do, there are people who make small projects or small tools and uh, just nuts and bolts for the chainsaws even, for the vehicles, everything. And if as their pay goes up, the cost of that product goes up, the cost of the lumber goes up. So I think we're going to have a, a spot towards the end of 21, beginning of 22, where lumber prices will probably stabilize and be okay for a little bit, and then probably will start going up again. Bruce, this is Jim. How can I help you? Hey, Jim. I appreciate you taking my call. Uh, moved into houses last year here in Waxahachie, and... 
uh, when we're running the heat and the air conditioning, you know, the doors are, are like, there's like a suction on them. Yep. There's not enough uh, air flow underneath the door or something like that. It's glass doors, interior doors. Uh-huh. Uh, can, I, can I cut an inch off of those or two inches off the bottom of those things to, uh, you know, make it not so hard on the air conditioning system? Absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't hurt anything to cut an inch or two off. Um, now, typically on the bottom of a door, uh, in sandwiched in the door, it's going to have a a board that's usually something three to four inches tall. And so it's made where you can cut it and, and have space under it. All right. Is there a special kind of blade I would use with that uh, you know, fiberglass door or whatever? The more t- uh, fiberglass door or is it a... A uh, masonite type door. It's. I think it's like fiberglass. The guy told me. Because typically interior doors aren't fiberglass. They're they're normally going to be a press board uh, or wood. Uh, but either yeah, way, not, uh, yeah. t- when you're trimming a door, the more teeth on your saw blade, the better. And just a okay. little trick. Uh, typically, if you'll run tape, where you're going to cut. It helps minimize splinters. Yeah. Okay. I know I've had that problem with wood doors before, and I just, I just wasn't sure that. Yeah, it's a fiberglass interior doors. It's kind of like six panel doors or whatever. Okay. Kind of weird, but yeah. anyway. But right. yeah, they're so just I, a fine. I, I want to make sure I had I had room, and I wasn't getting into the hollow sections, you know, of the door. Yeah, and realistically, even if you do get into the hollow sections, because I've sometimes taken doors and made them into half doors for going into attics and stuff. You can actually yeah. take a board and put it down into the hollow part and glue it into place and, and be just fine. Okay. All right. We'll get it up. Would you recommend just start off with an inch off the door, or how much would you take off to get that? Uh, typically that, on, the, on the bottom, you're going to want about an inch and a half. Okay. All right. Good okay. enough. I appreciate your help, Jim. Thank you, you so much. You bet. Take care. Earl, how are you? Hello, Jim. Yes, sir. Hi, I just moved into a, a brand new manufactured home, and I, I own something I've never owned before in my life. That's a fifty-gallon uh, rain uh, electric hot water heater. Okay. And, uh, I was wanting to know: um, do you have any tips for me on how to, you know, cut down on the on the cost of uh, running that thing? Will, will, will an insulated jacket work, or is that just a big old joke? No, they actually do help. Now, it help. is is your water heater uh, inside the living space? It, it's inside the house, inside of a closet. Yeah. So what it what it'll do is twofold. One, it helps hold the heat in. Two, it keeps from heating inside the trailer, which runs your air conditioning bill up. So right. yes, it it definitely does help to put those insulated jackets on it. Um, okay, sounds so. good. Um, what what would be the recommended temperature setting for for that thing? Uh, uh, something to keep the bacteria and you know what have you uh, from growing inside that tank. Well, the bigger thing is you set it where you're comfortable using it. Uh, you don't want it so hot that you're scorch, you know. Uh, burning people, scorching people, think you know stuff like that. But yeah. uh, usually you're somewhere between the medium and three quarters of the way up. 
Okay, okay. I, I, I think I think I got it on about 128 degrees now. So um, we'll just see how it works there. We'll see how the electric bill does. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, all right. Okay, Jim, I appreciate the information, buddy. You bet. Thomas, how can I help you? Hi, thanks for taking my call. We enjoy your show. Thank you. Um, wanted to ask you about, is, is it necessary or would it be beneficial to put a one-way valve to prevent sewage from the city backing up into my house? Have you ever had the problem? No, but I, I hear about it, and I just read about somewhere, and, uh, and that brings up that question, so I wanted to maybe see if that's worthwhile to insurance to have having your line in your property it, it's not um i mean they make the valve you can put one in but if you've never had a problem with it i wouldn't recommend it and the main reason it's a flapper and debris and stuff can get hooked up on it um, and cause a plug in the line as well they're not foolproof by any means of the imagination uh so Honestly, if you're more concerned with a city line backing up into the house, what I would recommend is where the clean-out is, have it where if the line backs up, it would blow the top off the clean-out rather than coming into the house. i say that one more time. That's interesting. Yeah, where, where the clean-out is for uh, you know running snakes down through the sewer line. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, you could set that up to where if the city lines backs up, because most of the time the clean out is lower than the lines inside the house. Just have it set up that where that's going to be the low spot in the in the, the lines. And so if it starts getting backup pressure, the top can blow off of it and you don't get sewage into your house. You, you'll have it in the yard, not in the house. That's a good idea. And then a friend of mine in Charlotte, North Carolina said, the city mandated them have a one-way valve on the spigots, uh, outside the spigots of their house. Is well, and, and we've got that as well. I mean, that's, that's what the backflow prevention valves are. And all new construction, it, it is required to, to have the backflow preventers on there. But uh, and, and those work fine. I mean, I don't have any real issues with those. Other than when you shut the water off, it always gives you a little spurt that you got to watch. It doesn't spray on you, but... Uh, other than that, they're they're good. Okay. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You bet. Take care. Yeah, that that's actually something all over Texas. The uh, backflow prevention, and, and that's a good thing because we 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 get so much flooding in Texas, and what that backflow prevent? If you leave a a, a hose outside, for instance, and you know, by chance you've got the water turned on when everything floods. Uh, it keeps it from, if the city's lines go down, from being able to suck that flood water up into the water system. Now, you just heard all the parameters I put on that. Chances of that happening are pretty slim. But why do you want to take the chance? It's just a little add-on on the, the hose bib, and it's done. And yeah, it's mandated all over the state of Texas. AJ, welcome to Texas Home Improvement. Thank you for taking my call. Inside unit of the air condition, I does it need to have some kind of cover? Does that make a big difference? I have some bushes that are really getting too big, and it's about five feet away from the foundations. So I'm just wondering whether I should just completely remove the bushes 
or the shade makes a big difference in the summer. Uh, you do not want to cover the air conditioner because, you know, the fan blows the air up out of the unit, uh, and that's how the the system works. So they're designed to be out in the weather with without having any cover over the top of them. I will tell you they do good in the shade, but I would not put a cover over the top of them. And as far as your bushes, yeah, keep them trimmed back to where you got good airflow all the way around the air conditioner unit. Yes, so, so the shade does make a difference, you think? It, 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 it can make a difference because basically what the outside unit is doing uh, in the summer months when, when we're using it for cooling, it's taking yes. the heat from inside the house and it goes into those fins and dis, it's blown out into the air. So the fins can do a little bit better job if they're shaded, but it's, it's not a big enough difference to, to justify doing anything. And if you put any type of cover that restricts the airflow, you will actually make it less energy efficient. Right. And uh, just quickly, can I rinse those fins, Jim? Absolutely. Yeah, rinse them off. You know, in fact, that's typically when you have uh, somebody come out and service the unit twice a year. Right. That's one of the things they do is rinse it off. Don't put one of those mister systems on it, though, that, is constantly keeping it moist uh, because we have a lot of mineral in our water and that yeah. mineral will actually start building up on those fins and again make that unit less efficient so every time it rains it's anyway it's cleaning the fins correct or should i still do something on top of that well you still should do more than than what the rain does because the hmm. rain comes down on the outside and typically hmm. when you're rinsing them off with the water hose you're kind of, you're blowing through the fins and and cleaning out the dust that's built up between the fins. All right. Okay. Great, Jim. Thanks a lot. Appreciate your help always. Oh, no problem. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Bye bye. Bye bye. And just for everybody, if you are going to rinse your AC system off, don't get overboard with the pressure. If you're using so much pressure that you start bending those little fins, you are way overdoing it. All you're trying to do is rinse off the buildup of debris that's gotten on to those fins, and that's it. Ron, this is Jim. How can I help you? Oh, Jim, uh, I'm doing a little project, and I'm putting up a backsplash with uh, the, the uh, subway tile. Yeah. And I just noticed that my sheetrock wall somewhat has like an inverted bow to it. Is there a a good way to make sure that, uh, you know, I can either level that wall out or or can I put extra mastic behind that little area to no, put the you, tile on or what? You don't want to put extra mastic. You would want to float the wall out first. Use, okay. Use, with, use your sheetrock mud. Your sheetrock mud? Yeah. Well, how much are we talking about? Uh, it, it's like three-eighths or oh, yeah. maybe a half inch at the most. Half inch would be a lot, but uh, if if we're only you know three in, up to three eighths and stuff, yeah, just float it out with sheetrock mud. Do it in small lists because if you try to do you know three eighths or a half inch like you've got, uh, that okay. the mud dries, it would crack on you. So okay. Just do it in, in increments and, and build it out that way. And is there a good way to to actually check that wall to make sure it's running straight? And just run just run a string line on it. Just a string line? Okay. Yep. I appreciate it, sir. 
You bet. Take care. You have a good day. You too. We'll be right back with more Texas Home Improvement. And I did want to address one thing because, you know, I said just use a, a string line in order to check if that wall is straight. Now, obviously, you can't push the line up against the wall. What you do is put a nail at each end of where you want to check. You're going to be covering it with tile anyway, so that little hole isn't going to hurt a thing. Pull your string line across, but keep it out off the wall a little bit and just measure the distance back so that you can see and float everything out so it's even across, you know, even distance from the string to the wall. That's the way you can check it while you're even coating it with uh, mud and stuff. And again, the the little hole that you're putting in the sheetrock, no big deal. You're going to be tiling over it anyways. It's, it's going to take care of it. So uh, nothing to worry about. One thing, you'll want to put it into a stud. Don't try to just put the nail into the sheetrock because when you try to tension it up, it will pull loose. So you got to find a stud to, to put the nails into. Most of the time, at least one end is going to be in a corner anyways, and you know there's going to be a stud in the corner. So that gives you a starting spot, and then you know you work out from there and find what the spacing is on your studs and stuff. You've just heard the best calls and questions from Texas Home Improvement. For more information about our show, go to THIPro.com.